It's another episode of the Bobcat Cub podcast. I'm your host, Carl Schoening, and today we are joined by head coach of the Texas State men's basketball team, Danny Casper. Coach Casper, thanks for joining the show. And the first and most important question that a lot of people have asked me to ask you is, how do you groom your mustache and keep it so pristine? <laughs> ah, pristine. That's a, that's a new word for my mustache here. You know, I'm, I'm starting to use the word gray to describe my mustache here, but, uh, oh, I don't know. I, 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 I look at it and trim it every other, a couple of two, three days. But, uh, you know, to be honest with you, Carl, this mustache is a product. I've had it since my uh, senior year in college. The girlfriend, the girl I was dating at the time thought, brought it up, said, I think you would look good with the mustache. So I grew it out and, uh, you know, and it, and then it did not, uh, it, and it looked good according to her, you know, she said she liked it on me. And so I kept it. And, uh, then I met my wife and, uh, and there's been several times I said, I, man, I'm getting tired of maintaining this thing. I think I'm gonna shave it. Please. I don't want you to shave it. My wife is telling me that. And, and probably the biggest one now is my daughter. She, she just threatens me if don't you dare shave that mustache daddy. So, you know, when anyone says, really, this is, I'm on a mandate from my wife and my daughter, don't shave my mustache. Yeah, and it's kind of developed a bit of its own um, imaging with you, I guess, that people associate you with your mustache. I remember when you first came in here, uh, members of the band would have a picture of your hair and your mustache and just that, and we knew who it was. So it's uh, funny how it takes on a life of its own sometimes. Um, well, and at Stephen F. Austin, once once a year, they had mustache night. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, they actually, my wife still has a shirt where they have an actual picture of me on the front. And then they have what you said, you know, an outline of my face with just drawn with the mustache and the eyebrows and the mouth and nose. And and I know just recently they started to pick up on that here. But uh, that was a big promotion at Stephen F. Austin mustache night. And, you know, uh, if you have a mustache or if you bring a fake one, you can get in free. And uh, it went over pretty good at Stephen F. Austin. And like I tell Don Coriel, I said, man, if you can use me in any way, shape or form to get more people in the stands, do it. You know? <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's a, a popular uh feature that comes along with Danny Casper as well as, well as winning. You, you're one of the uh, winningest head coaches in uh, NCAA, active coaches. You're 25th in wins. You're approaching 600 uh, by next basketball season. I think it's fair to assume you'll be up there. Uh, we can just move right into X's and O's. Where does the basketball career of Danny Casper start? What, what sparked the inspiration of you being a coach? Well, you know, uh, you know, when I say prayers to the good Lord, I thank him for wonderful parents, a loving wife, a beautiful daughter. Uh, you know, a lot of people that I've met through life it, have, have shaped my outlook. And, and one of them are my, my, my coaches, you know, from my Catholic school coach in the sixth, seventh and eighth grade, who had a tremendous influence on my life, to my high school coach, uh, Mike Kunstadt, who, you know, was a very uh, organized and disciplined uh, gentleman who who uh, we knew loved basketball. And I think what I realized about him made me uh, realize, hey, do your job, put a lot of enthusiasm in, into it. <clears throat> and if you, <clears throat> excuse me, if you recruit the right people, they'll see that 
and they'll respect that and they'll jump in with you. They'll buy in. And uh, because, you know, our high school coach he, he, and my Catholic school coach worked very hard to, and we won. We won a lot of games. We made a, we made a state final four my senior year in what would now be 6A. And uh, we won the city championship uh, my seventh and eighth grade year. And then we won the district title my senior year. And we finished in a tie my junior year. And my JV team won the district title. So, <clears throat> you know, winning, I like to think winning has been a big part of my life. I just, I tell my assistants that I'm, uh, you know, I'm 65 years old. And how long will I coach? So that depends on how long we're winning. And uh, you know, I, I mean, losing eats at me and I'm not, I'm, you know, I, I like making money like anybody else, but the real motivation for me to continue coaching at my age is I still love it. I still love being around the guys. I think they keep me young. Uh, we have some good players, some good people. And this, particularly this last year's group was an excellent group of young men. And, you know, they were good people that were fun to be around. And uh, sure, you, if you come to practice, you hear me yelling at them because I don't think they're going hard enough or they didn't take the charge or this or that. But that's one of those things that if you ask me, if a player comes and says, Coach, you got on me about this, I say, I did. You know, there are things you do on the spur of the moment to correct them and then you move on. And uh, so we had some great kids, great young men uh, this year. And that was a reason why, you know, we finished in second. And I really thought we had a great chance to win the tournament the way we were playing at the end of the year. You've gotten a chance to rub elbows with a lot of great coaches in your time. Uh, I particularly remember when you were in the NIT with Stephen F. Austin, Bill Walton mentioned how uh, you were part of uh, John Wooden camp when you were at the University of the Incarnate Word. You got to uh, meet Greg Popovich and go to Spurs training camps. Could you talk about some of those uh, – bigger names that maybe influence how you coach today? Well, uh, you know, again, they did influence me. I also had some great college bosses, you know, uh, you know, start off with Billy Tubbs, you know, start off with, you know, uh, continue with Dr. Gerald Stockton. Uh, from there, Harry Miller at Stephen F. Austin, and then Gene Iba at Baylor. All these gentlemen won 600 games. Uh, well, I'm going to say at least 500 games or more at the collegiate ranks. And I thought all of them – I mean, like Billy Tubbs is up and down, get up and down coach. Uh, you know, Dr. Stockton is someone that will push the ball, but he's got a lot of Hank Iba in him. Uh, Harry Miller is a great coach in terms of motion offense. Uh, and he gave me – because of his age, he gave me a chance to coach a lot at, starting at age 28 on the floor. And then Gene Iba is a, is a great defensive coach and uh, has a lot of Henry Iba motion offense principles into him too. But yes, you know, uh, I, I, when I, when I got the job at Incarnate Word, the Spurs used to practice at our facility, our, our, our playing facility. They did not have their own practice arena like they do now. And uh, so, you know, every day they'd go either 10 to I think they reserved it from 10 to one and, but some days they go 10 to 12, some days they go 11 to depending on if they're, you know, I guess depending on if they're out of town or in town or what. And quite often we'd start at one So, you know, we use the same training room and you're walking around a training room and there's Tim Duncan, David Robinson, you know, Sean Elliott. And there was many times that the Spurs, uh, 
back then you had the old TV VCR. Remember, you know, where you plug in the VHS tape, I believe you call it. And I had one of those, and that's what I watched games on. You didn't have these PCs back then. And so there was many a time where they'd come knock on my door and say, would they start practice? They wanted to watch film. And could they use that TV VCR? And, and uh, Pop always told me and, and his people always said, man, you ever want to come to a game? Just let us know. They did, they did tell me there was two games they may not be able to get me tickets. And that was when Jordan and the Bulls were in town and when Shaq was in town because Shaq was a San Antonio product. Uh, but other than that, I could go to any Spurs game I want. But believe it or not, Carl, I'd, if I went to two Spurs games a year, that was it. Uh, they did not include playoff games in, in this. It was only the, one of the 82, you know, 41 regular season games at home. Uh, and, uh, but other, other NBA teams would practice that incarnate word. Let's just say somebody's playing the Rockets on a Sunday and then they don't play the Spurs till Tuesday. Well, they would come to San Antonio. They need a place to play or practice. I should say on Monday, they'd come in on Monday night or after all, after men's and women's basketball incarnate word teams would be finished that here come the pro team. And quite often I'd call my wife and. She, I have a, I have a wonderful coach's wife. She's a wonderful wife, period. But certainly, she's a great coach's wife, Debbie. And uh, there'd be times I call Debbie and say, "Hey, I volunteered to keep the gym open for, you know, the New York Knicks or the Boston Celtics or something, and they practice." And uh, and so I got to watch a lot of pro teams practice. But Pop would always say, "Hey, man, you want to watch? You're welcome to come in and." And there was times that I would – they'd be out there before the team got out there, and I'd go up there and talk with him for 10 minutes. And I know he helped me on this job here at Texas State. I know he made a call, you know, to, the, to Dr. Trout and Larry Tice and for on my behalf. And Bill Walton, I never met Bill till we played Stanford in the NIT, and I was in the locker room, and my uh, SID says, hey, Bill Walton wants to talk to you before the game, you know, can you do it? I said, sure. You know, Bill Walton was, Bill Walton was leading UCLA to unbelievable years while I was in high school. So golly, his, his sophomore and junior years, they were dominant, great teams. So I go out there and we talk and I tell him about, you know, I can tell him about game. He, he was just amazed that I knew so much about his teams and him. And he just took me under his wing so much that when the SFA beat Duke this year, I was traveling from a recruiting situation. And I was watching the SFA game, Duke game, in the Houston airport. And it went to halftime, and I had to board the plane. And I flew to Austin and got to my car, and I'm driving and talking to my wife, Debbie, and she's telling me what's happening. And she's all excited, SFA beat Duke, because we're, you know, SFA employed me for 13 years. I'm, I, want them to, I want them to do win every time unless they're playing us, you know, and uh, – uh, you know, I'm all for the Lumberjacks. And uh, that was great. And so my wife got off the phone and then my college roommate called me and we're talking and all of a sudden I'm on Bluetooth and all of a sudden it says Bill Walton's calling. And uh, so I'm driving the car and I said, I told my college roommate, hey, Larry, this is Bill Walton calling. And he goes, get out of here. That's not, you know, you just don't want to talk to me. I said, Larry, I'm telling you, Bill Walton's on the phone. I need to take the call. Well, call me back. I want to hear what he has to say. So Bill Walton called me and uh, Danny Casper, yes, sir, Bill, how you doing? He says, well, listen, I just want to tell you that's a great win for SFA and I know it started with you. 
you got that program going and if you hadn't done what you did, they couldn't do what they're doing. Now that kind of stuff, he was saying that kind of stuff. And, and just recently, about three weeks ago, four weeks ago, I texted Bill and said, I hope you and your family are safe and nobody's got the virus. And my wife and I were watching Blue Bloods on a Friday night. And all of a sudden this call from Bill Walton comes in and he just texts me and says, and I just want to call you. Thank you for thinking of me. Blah, 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 blah. We told, you know, we talked, Carl, we talked 45 minutes. He went over his times at UCLA. He told me things about Coach Wooden while he was playing. Then he talked about his time as a Portland Trailblazer when they won the title in 1977 about Dr. Jack Ramsey, the coach there who's a phenomenal pro coach. He talked about his time with the Celtics playing with Bird and McHale and the Lakers Celtics series. He talked about that. And, you know, it was a 45-minute conversation. And I told I told you know, I just couldn't believe this guy spending 45 minutes with me on the phone and just talking like we were roommates. So, yeah, I treasure my friendship with Bill, even though we don't get to see each other. My wife and I are thinking about going on a vacation some point in time where we start in San Diego and make our way up to L.A. and check the beaches and go to the San Antonio, I mean, San Diego Zoo. And I think San Diego is a great city. You know, I called Bill and said, Bill, my wife and I think about going to uh, San Diego and then making our way up to L.A. So you think we could meet at a restaurant for dinner? He goes, well, Danny, we can certainly meet, but we're not going to a restaurant and you're coming over to our house and we're going to cook you dinner. And then he said, before you get here, let me know when you're coming because I want to talk to you and tell you what I think are the places you need to see in San Diego. So that's the kind of relationship I have with Bill. And, you know, Pop, I can go to their practices when I want and Pop told me, he said, hey, come on around more often. He said, if you got a, an alumni you want to impress, you know, bring them with you. And if you need to go to games, let me know. Well, that same year, this was not this past year, but the year before, we had a long break at Christmas. And I told Pop, uh, you know, I said, I'd like to bring my team. We're playing Arkansas on the 22nd. And the, and the, and the, we hadn't played, we started, we played a game on the 15th and we didn't play for a week. So I'm having the guys here at, with nobody else for a week. What am I going to do with these guys? You know? So we did a couple of things together, a movie one night with them. And then I took them to a Spurs game and pop got tickets for everybody to the Spurs. Room. So that's the kind of relationships I have with those guys. And I'm sorry yeah. I talked so long. I probably bored all your fans and everything. So. No, no, that's, that's awesome. And yeah, I, I've met people who've met Bill Walton and they talk about how he's a stand-up guy and I work for the Spurs. So, you know, knowing pop, he's one of the uh, great humans in coaching. And um, yeah, it's it's always great to hear about those kinds of things. Uh, Just kind of one last little topic that we can touch on before we let you go is how has the game of basketball, the sport changed over your course of a coaching career? And how have you had to adjust to some of these new things, such as maybe big men stretching the floor out to the three point line or uh, defensive philosophies with the increased volume of three point shooting and, you know, how you've had to change certain things with the physicality of the game sort of going towards uh, the new new spectrums of like flagrant fouls and uh, so on and so forth. Well, the game has changed. It's become a more of a perimeter game. The three-point line changed that. The shot clock, first at 45, then at 35, and now at 30. So it's it's speeded up the game. Uh, In a way, it helps because being a defensive-oriented coach, I'm telling the guys, you don't have to defend now for 45 seconds. You only got to defend for 30. Actually, 
you got to defend for about 28 because they're going to shoot it by that time. So we can play better defense and we don't have to play as long. And, uh, you know, so it, it's become a guards game or a perimeter game. Even, even you know, you don't see – you see more big men that are f- almost like forwards, not centers. Uh, I still like a big man who can score on the block. <clears throat> Call me old school, but, <clears throat> you know, there's a lot of screen and roll stuff now versus, you know, the 80s and the 90s. And that's come over from Europe. And, uh, but, uh, they're taking away the physicality of the game. They're, you know, you can't put two hands on somebody when they drive. You sometimes you can't even put one, uh, they're, uh, you know, it's speed and quickness is, is, is very important under these new rules. Um, and so, uh, but some things stay the same. You still got to put the ball in the hole. You know, I tell my guys, my assistants, get me shooters find me shooters, you know, and guys who can defend, who can shoot and pass. You know, I think, I think there's a lot of dribbling going on in the game, and I, 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 that I don't like. I think there's a lot of people shooting too many threes. Well, too, what are too many threes? 30 in a game, you know. But, you know, shooting 18, 20 threes, you know, if you're making, you know, 35% of them, you know, that's, you know, uh, maybe a little bit more, maybe 38. That's a that, – that's fine. But, you know, like, I just think that the rules have changed and that has changed the game, the three point line, the shot clocks, they're talking about widening the, the lane. Now uh, I can't call timeout during, I, we're the only sport major sport that a head coach cannot call timeout during the game. I, I don't understand that. I really don't. One of your players has to, unless it's in the last two minutes of the game. I don't. I think that's a very bad rule. Uh, you know, then that they've had some good rules. A five second closely guarded. That was a subjective thing. You know, getting that one. You know, a dribbler closely guarded for five seconds. You know, it used to be you could. That was a a violation. You go the other way. It's no longer that way. So, you know, it used to be twenty five years ago, a big man would get recruited by hundreds of schools. And guards were not. Well, it's kind of bounced out. Guards are getting recruited every bit. If you're a good player, a very good player, and you're a guard, you might even be getting recruited as big man. I watched a special on Jordan the other night on ESPN, and, you know, they took two big men before him in the draft. And, of course, one of them being Akeem Olajuwon, that's, that's understandable, especially going to Houston. But today I think Michael Jordan would have been the number one choice. You know, and Jordan helped change that. The Bulls, that, that's one of the programs that did not have a true center. You know, uh, uh, they're one of the teams that were their first went to away from that conventional low post center guy. So, it, you know, the rules have changed the game. It's become faster. It's become less physical. You can't put your hands on people as much. You can't even, you can't even try to cut them off and not let them cut. Uh, you know, but I still believe defense wins championships. But you still have to have a pretty decent offense to go with that defense, though. Stemming from that, I'm, I'm really curious about this because it's maybe where I would be as a coach in the 80s. Has there ever been a player on the opposing team in your basketball career as a player or coach that was just lighting you up so your response was to use some of your fouls to maybe throw them out of a rhythm, something that you probably couldn't do today? 
you know, I didn't, I never was the kind of coach that say, Hey, just foul the hell out of him. You know, I never was that kind of guy. You know, we had a player like that this year, you know, uh, that UTSA has a guard that uh, I forget his name right now, but he was a very good player. He's only like five ten, five eleven, and, you know, he's a good player, but there are games when he, if he's not on, he beats UTSA. If he's on, he beats you. And, uh, you know, he was on against us. And, you know, I want to say he had 30 something points against us. And in several times, my players, I couldn't say a word to him because I thought their defense was, was pretty good. He just hit, he just hit clutch shots. And that's an example of where, how people are going to guards, you know, uh, UTSA's top two players are guards. Nigel's a small forward, you know, for us. And, uh, you know, the year before, Trey Nottingham was our second leading scorer. Uh, you know, you don't see – I don't know. You just don't run into many big men leading their teams in scoring anymore. You just don't do that. So, but, you know, Eric Terry and, and uh, Alonzo Sule, you know, we're very proud of them. You know, they're uh, – they're, they're, you know, we're going to miss Eric, and I think Alonzo has a potential to be an all-conference player here if he'll, if he'll do some individual work on his own to develop himself and get stronger. Yeah, well, I think you've done a really good job adjusting over the years between still kind of keeping uh, everything working from the inside out uh, successful because at the end of the day, especially in the college game, I feel like scoring mostly comes from 15 feet in and then you can open up your outside game. But uh, I, what do I know? I'm just a broadcaster, but, you know, you, well, we you go do inside out. Right, Carl. And, you know, just a little bit about our program. I, I just – if I can brag a little bit, you know, I, I, I – my first three years, it really, really, that was a grind. I was, that really wore on me, you know, eight and 22, my first year, 14 and 17, my second year. And I thought that was a good step up my second year. We won a game in the tournament. Uh, in my third year, we were disappointed. We went 15 and 16. I really thought we could flip that around. Uh, we had some attitude issues that year with a couple of players. And then we turned it around. And in the last, in the last four years, there's 23 Division I schools in Texas that play basketball. Over the last four years, we're the sixth most successful. Uh, University of Houston has 104 wins. Uh, Texas Tech has 96. Baylor has 92. SFA has 88. TCU has 84, and we have 82. But here's the difference between us and them programs. Houston, Baylor, and I call their scheduling people to get this information. Houston, Baylor, and TCU play six or seven guarantee games a year. And for those people who don't understand, that's where they buy a team, like they did us this year, to come in and play. And they pay you, any, you know, really good money, and they expect to win that game. And uh, Baylor, we played Baylor for money this year. We played Houston for money. Baylor beat us by nine. They were number two in the country. Houston beat us by eight. You know, we were down five to Baylor with three minutes to go. We were down three to Houston with two minutes to go. And – but that, those guarantee games. Okay, so again, I say Houston, TCU, and Baylor play six or seven guarantees a year. Texas Tech plays eight or nine. Stephen F. Austin plays four non-D1s a year. We play two. So there's a little bit skewed that information because we don't have all these guarantee games. And they do. And yet we're up there, you know, close to them. So I'm, you know, I'm, I want to do better. I want to get in the NCAA. I want to win a Sun Belt regular season title. We have improvements to make. 
But, you know, after 14 years without a winning record, I'm very proud of what these guys have done. And let me go back, not this year, last year, but the year before, we were 14 and seven before Marlon Davis tore his ACL. And he's my starting point guard, and that's like losing your starting quarterback in football. And we went one and 10 the rest of the season, losing a bunch of games by four points or less. I felt like if Marlon would have had safety, we'd be up there around 90-something wins. You know, I'm going to say around 88 to 90 wins. You know, we would probably be up there somewhere around, you know, fourth in the state. And uh, with only two guaranteed games a year. So I like to think we've made great strides. We're on an upward trajectory. Uh, we're doing it with good people. I like the young men on our team. Uh, they're good people. And, they're, and, you know, our APR was 1,000 last year. We're hoping it's going to be that again this year. And we haven't had any behavioral problems that bring, bad, that bring bad publicity to the university. And my kids are graduating. So, uh, you know, other than a conference title and an NCAA tournament appearance, you know, uh, all the other boxes have been somewhat checked. Well, we think you're doing a phenomenal job as a head coach of our men's basketball program here. Um, Thank you for taking the time today. Before we let you go, is there anything you'd like to say to the Bobcat fans and viewers out there? I would. Thank you for giving me this opportunity. I want to say thank you to all of you who came to the games. That last game against Appalachian State, what an atmosphere that you created. It was tremendous. I was so proud of all of our fans, our students, our alumni. Uh, the game against UTA and App State were outstanding. We had some other nice games against Little Rock. Arkansas State, you know, uh, we were one game away from winning the title. Uh, we lost Nigel for one game so he could cut fly home to be with his wife, uh, you know, his fiance while she had her ba his baby. And probably the worst thing was they started off our conference play four on the road. And we went one and three. And from then we went – or and then we had to come home. We played on Saturday and came home on a Monday to play a home game, and that didn't give us very much rest and – preparations we started off conference play one and four and we ended up 13 and seven so we went 12 and three the last 15 games one of those games Nigel did not play in and we lost by three without him there and so we lost to UTA at home by three missed a three at the buzzer and I forget what the other game we lost uh, but uh, <clears throat> it was a good year it was a very good year and the fans you do so much to help the atmosphere you make it exciting uh, you know, and I, I'm just thankful for all those who come to the games, those people who join the, the Bobcat Tipping Club. Uh, you know, I want to thank my wife. You know, she has a birthday party for every player, coach, manager, and trainer after their, one of their birthdays after practice. And if their birthdays are on a Sunday or on a game day, we do it the next day. That comes out to about 24 birthday parties she puts on per year. So I want to take this opportunity to thank her. So I, I guess that's it. You know, I appreciate you giving me this opportunity. Hey, we thank you so much for coming on. Uh, stay healthy. Um, and we can't wait to see you back on the sidelines coaching. Well, I can't too. Let's all try to do our part to get this COVID-19 under control. All right. Thanks thank for your you. time. And we'll see you next time, coach. Thanks a lot. Appreciate you. Bye-bye.